if a young woman uh, found that uh, that a man had a good way of living and that he had a good farm, well stocked, and that he was a sensible man and a hard worker, even though that he was no Cary Grant, well, she was uh, she knew that he would be a better man to spend her life with than somebody who was, uh, you know, some Romeo that was uh, always in the pub, or, you know, too lazy to do day's work. I had a mother and a delicate sister, and somebody taught me about the man that was in this house, that there was nobody there but himself. And I said to myself, there was my chance to take my mother and delicate sister. Now, she was then young, and they brought, they brought the man uh, nearby in a house, and she was told he was there. And she went out the back way, and she ran by the cliff. She didn't want to marry him at all. She didn't like him. Will you, will you give her to me? Will you, will you give her to me? Well, now, it's not the daughter that was in question at all this time. Now. It was the other heifer that was in question. Well, look at here now, Shawnee, he says. If you're not prepared to marry my daughter without the two heifers, the devil and night you'll ever sleep with her. Clownish, clownish at fad, but not a big horn, a digging to. Ach, um, gemich, we call vest and chuggers and shoes, we more like a more did it is. I guess near God clowns a yellow Sagoshin, a cosmetic nearly decent like a I don't know, they used to work out all right, but I think what was wrong, the girl didn't know anything else. She was the only thing she knew. She didn't know what she didn't know what lovers and she didn't know how to make lovers. All she knew was to get married and get a place and get a home. Bacon and cabbage, then they'd have the tea, and then they'd go around with a big, a big tin bucket. Pouring out the pot. Then they'd get, they'd get, think to eat again before they'd go home in the morning in another drink. Whiskey. Christ, I drank, what do you call it one time? Moonshine. Oh, Christ. Matchmaking, settlements and fortunes were as common as Bodines in the rural Ireland of yesterday. Yet how strange and remote and unreal these matrimonial arrangements sound in the Ireland of the 70s. But who better to judge the outcome than the people who, over 50 years ago, spoke those solemn words, for better, for worse. What kind of qualities were they looking for in a marriage partner? Was it looks or security? Or a gay life? And did this system of matchmaking work out in practice? If I think back and think of, of the neighbours and my own, you know, relations and people right around me, I would say that most of those people, uh, their marriages were made marriages or made matches. And to my mind, they worked out as well, I think, or if not better, you know, as it is humanly possible for people who make their own uh, love matches, as, as they were called in the country. For one thing, there was one, one thing that was, that was in this, that the people didn't know, didn't know each other intimately for very long before the marriage. And there weren't these long, long years, you know, of, of, of courtship where you talk about some people are going together for 21 years, you know, and finally she's getting a little bit worried and she says to the fellow, you know, I think that we should get married, you know, and he says to her, who would marry us? But it, it, there, was, there was none of that. And they, they, 
the, the, the friendship started, started, you know, this short time before the marriage, and if there was love there, it increased as the thing went on, you know, whereas maybe long, long years of courtship, uh, you know, wouldn't, isn't, isn't possibly the very best. Um, maybe it's not the very best preparation for marriage, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not, I'm not speaking economically now, but... <laughs> Uh, to my mind, they were, they were very happy. There was another thing about it was this, that in the custom and, and in the way of life in this community, a man and wife were not thrown so much on each other's company as they are living in, in, in a, in a semi-detached house, you know, in, in, in a town. No, because that wasn't the way of life, you see. Uh, the man had his own friends, you know, and she had her own friends. Well, they worked during the day, they, they talked, and uh, she was in the house and he was in the field. And then when they went to Mass, uh, she went immediately to speak to her own friend and he went to speak to, to his. And when they were in the house at night, they were usually neighbours in, and there was always, he could talk to her through a neighbour, you know, and he could, he, could, he, could, he could in this way have a joke, or crack a joke with her, that if, if he cracked it straight to her face, you know, she might res resent it, you know. And, the, the time they were really together is when they went to bed. And, and, and I, th I think now that if people are thrown too much, uh, you know, and there are, there are tensions, there were none of these tensions that, that, that I knew about, and they, they, weren't, they weren't terribly, they didn't, they didn't think it was necessary to be saying darling this and darling that and holding each other's hands and all this all nonsense that goes on now, you know, that's, uh, that, that has, you know, has, has no basis whatsoever in reality. And they accepted each other as, as, as persons. And there was a very healthy relationship between most of the people that I knew. If a marriage broke down, it was because the man drank or because she was a shrew, or because she, you know, she was, she was one who would fight with her nails, or something of that kind, and who, who sat around with neighbours, and who, who would fight, you know, some, because she wasn't properly balanced. That was the only reason. If two healthy people that were properly balanced, uh, um, from these matches that I know of, there was never any trouble. They were completely happy. And that same married bliss which matchmaking brought about in Munster was found also in Connemara, where it was known as Kjaunus. Uirinta vioxe jacu gallor far no ban oil la hai posa se gorsnukt igos winter konamara. Ach near crusha shinast and se viokagiri so crushias, par vidish sosta dolnis fujamak la hai clownsiana. Fado, hulafosa vi sitir, clavnus vian, and moforas de hain in charos mokunisha. Clavnus er fadivian, clavnus vian, or fos maher hain. Well, Ach, uh, uh, well, we shan't jack her in Shinnegg, and they grow fatches at a run or I read Well, near while I tell you, we shall 
Sometimes a father had two daughters on the matrimonial market, and usually when this happened, he aimed at marrying off the older one, or perhaps the plainer one, first. Dominic was one of those people who went along to give moral support to the young man who had wedding bells on his mind. The man came and he asked me to uh, bring him out to a, a house outside the city that um, he intended getting married. So I went out with him there that night and uh, there was another man from his own village with him. The people in the house they were probably expecting him because, you know, they made tea and uh, after about uh, when tea was over, they were called. Oh yes, there were there were only two two girls in the house. One of them would be about twenty one, and the other would be twenty eight or thirty. But the younger one was a very good looking girl, and the older one was. She was a fine girl, all right, but she was a bit rough looking. Well, were both girls on offer? No. There was the, the, the older one would have to go first. But of course, he didn't know that now until that night, because he said to me that, uh, well, he said, uh, a man wouldn't want much with that young one. <laughs> uh, but uh, he says, I'm sure, he says, it's the older one. He says, that'll be going. So they were called back anyways into the room. Um, after a while, he come back and uh, he said that the arrangements broke up. He wouldn't agree. That was the older girl. And uh, he was only getting a hundred pounds and he wanted more, much more. But he told the man of the house that if he got the younger one, that he even wouldn't ask a hundred pounds. The second time, anyway, that they were called into conference, they, they agreed, and a uh, hundred pounds and a cow, yes. Well, this was a hundred pounds and a cow, yeah. and the older girl? No, and the older girl, yeah. Although bargaining about money might suit the parents of a marriageable daughter, she could have other ideas, and it could happen that she might turn down a man despite his sizable wealth. Is there a girl in the, in the whole country that turned down 600 pounds? He said, my mother, and a, and a nice boy, I like it. I said, it's a long time ago since he was a boy. Oh, he said, my father, I know, he says, what's wrong with you? I know, he says, this boy, oh, he says, you're meeting, he says, the, the cause of all this now, he says, well, that, that book, oh, he says, never come inside my door, he says. And you and what's more, he said, you will see, you won't see much more of them. I'll the week after next, my girl, he said, you're living out the house. She says, I'll lend you. He says, up on Queenstown, and I'll put you out on board the ship, and I'll pay you all to America, and you'll be no longer. He's breaking our heart the way you were. I said, I don't care, and I started crying out upstairs. Well, I didn't know now what I was going to do. That that everything else was crashed all around me. The, I, I was the father was in me away, and I, I wouldn't see any more of the boyfriend. I thought. But that way, still, the following day, when I got and gone to mess, I sat down and I wrote to the boyfriend. 
I told him what was wrong. And how things were, that the father of matchmaking was a millionaire in town yesterday, Saturday, and that I turned my back on him as usual. I didn't, I didn't want to tell you, I said, about it. And that I didn't, when I met you, I said, that I didn't want to tell you about it. But he sent me out of the house now, he says, he sent me out to America, he says, the week after next. Oh, I'm afraid, I said, I won't see much more of you. I won't be let it down except the races. So, I sent it out, I gave the letter to the postman, and one day to postman. I went, was knocking around, wanted to put the time over me as best I could, and my heart broke. But, um, Tuesday, the father came and he said, uh, when you ate your dinner, he said, no, he says, will you go up to Sean Tierney? He said, and he will he come along the next week and we put the clock at off anyhow. I said, I would. I got the bicycle and I went off. I didn't know who he met. I didn't take a bit. Of, I was too heartbroken to know anyone on the road. I saw his bicycle coming along and he pulled alongside me. He jumped to the bicycle. He says, is that you? He says, where are you going? I jumped to the bicycle. Oh, he says, is that you? Tis, he says. What's wrong? He says, what happened? I had your letter this morning. He says, what happened at all? Oh, I said, the father's driving me out to America. He says, the week after next. I won't see much more of him. And what's it all about? He says, I told him. Some millionaire, he says, they met a Saturday. He says, I'm not making what I says. I disagreed, of course. I says, you know, uh, you know, well, he says, I said, that I, that I didn't want anymore. So I explained it all to him. He listened for a few minutes. Are you willing, he says, to get married? This minute, I said, if you like. Well, if you're willing, he says, it'll be this week, he's then no longer. I don't mind, I said, if I, even if I have to carry the bag, I says, you'll carry no bag, he says. Um, we, um, it would be, it'll be next Saturday, he says, if, if you're ready. I don't, I, I, I'm ready, I said, any day, you see, so we did arrange it for Saturday. But we, I said, I said, where, but where, um, where are you going, he says. I was going out here further now, he says. And I'm going to tell him, he says, that, that there will be tools going, he says, and that we don't, that I don't want to display either, he says. And I'm going to tell him what we're going to do. And, oh, for God's sake, he says, don't go near him. He's like Lucifer, he says, oh, never mind, he says. I'll have Lucifer sitting in his tail, he says, when I finish with him, he says. I'm selling those pets of pagans, he says, he's getting for you. Don't worry, he says, that'll be all over now, very soon, he says. So I went off and I did my own message and I let him go. And, but it was all right, I was coming back, sure, I knew well when I come home that the fireworks to start again. Oh, when I came home, they started. What sort of girl, what, what kind of daughter at all are they? Wasn't I in an awful hurry getting married? Couldn't I take my time? I says, it wasn't a hurry with me getting married. I says, only yourself. I says, it's all you don't do. And I says, I had no notion of getting married for a long time to come or I wouldn't. But I says, things, things has gone as they are now. I says, this will be the rest of it. There'll be no more talk about it. Oh, they had to shut up anyhow. Yeah. Grousing all the weeks. There was Wednesday and Thursday, but all Friday, the mother and Shadow were up. Come in the town anyhow, she said, I'll buy a fight hat for you. You can't wear that black hat getting married. I said I would. Oh, she brought me into town, she bought the hat from me, but that's all I got. But um, to make a long story short, and we were married on Saturday evening, and we weren't let go to America either. We got the place, and that finished That finished all my troubles. Bi nos a llawnish ho chachin ther ilon orin and thamshin is virxe er mort here. Agus ligamidinish the watchino jiroin, gal cheer er wohrin smuinche, gudi yanter hilronoin. Clownish, clownish er fad, but nach a vihon a digunto. Ach, um, gemich, wir kaur wirst in chuggers and chu, the wir more lehel a more dirigis. Agus near raw clowns a yon a gaussian, achus minik nearigis in lehele. Mar dirigis as how the dimishilish. 
There was no fixed location for the making of a match. It could happen any place where people gathered together. Maybe after Mass on a Sunday, at a waker funeral. And, of course, the fair day was a very likely place for young love. And it's here, too, that the street singer often reminded girls of the loneliness of spinsterhood. of putting the fortune together. Some girls had to spend a number of years of hard slaving in America from dawn until dark to gather up a few hundred pounds. Far luckier were the ones whose fathers could search out a good place for them on the strength of his cash and a few cows. 
the settlement of the fortune, or the spray, as they call it around here, was the important thing. To, it wasn't hard at all to get the, 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 the wife or the, the daughter of the house to marry her, but it was very, very hard to, to arrange the, the fortune. I, I heard a very funny story not so long ago about a match. This happened maybe about 30 or 40 years ago. But this man came a long way to this house and there was a young daughter in the house. And of course he, uh, he approached the man at the house about their end there and what he wanted. And the man at the house had, uh, had a great welcome for him. And of course he, he got the daughter without tin, saying tin words, you know. But they spent all night long trying to settle the fortune, or the spray. So uh, the young man wasn't prepared to marry the, the daughter unless he got two lovely heifers this man owned, you know. Well, the man was prepared to give him one of the heifers and another beast, but not the two nice heifers. He gave them one all right. But they broke it up in the morning anyway, and the young man was gone off on his friends, and he was about a hundred yards from the house when he shouted back to the man of the house, "Hi, Tom," he says. "Will you will you give her to me? Will you will you give her to me?" Well, now it's not the daughter that was in question at all this time. Now it was the other heifer that was in question. Well, look at here now, Shawnee," he says. "If you're not prepared to marry my daughter without the two heifers, the devil and night you'll ever sleep with her." <laughs> The girls, a good many of the girls that time, you know, who went to America, many of them, a good many of them, returned. And they returned with what they called the fortune. She probably, the girl came home, she might have $1,000 or $2,000. And she came home, and, uh, oh, it is quite common, you'd be surprised at the number of people in, in the country parts and uh, western Galway and Mayo and those places who were mo the women, most of them had done their four or five years in Boston or Chicago and they came home and as soon as they arrived of course it was known of course that she had the, the money, for, she had what is called the fortune and uh, in that case uh, there wasn't much um, much matchmaking. The match generally wasn't made in these days. She became very popular in the village, especially with the unmarried, those who were unmarried, so much so that there was often a rush to see which of the which of the, the young men would, would, would succeed in getting her. So that was quite common. But it could also happen that the making of a match might involve much more than the settlement of the fortune or spray of money, land and cows. Sometimes the prospective partners had responsibilities which would go with them on their wedding day. I had a mother and a delicate sister and somebody told me about the man that was in this house that there was nobody there but himself and I said to myself, there was my chance to take my mother and delicate sister. And I came here. There's no question at all about whether you liked him or not. Ah, oh, well, I saw him, you know. He came up to the place. I saw him. He was all right. He was a good man, a fisherman. He was all right. 
and they, they used to fish all day after day and make lots of money. I felt that no, no, no money, no. <laughs> well, now, how did he? How long did you know him when you married him? I didn't know him at all. A couple of days. <laughs> did he know? Just to see him. A couple of days, and that was all. Somebody made the match for yes, you? Yes, made the match. That's the way, no, my dear? He didn't mind the fact that you had a delicate sister and a mother. Oh, no, with he, you. oh no he was a very quiet man. Oh, very quiet man. He didn't mind at all. Not one bit. So I was quite happy. Did you bring but, any money into him? Oh, yes. Well, money. I had just got married me in that job. Uh, <laughs> How much was that about? <laughs> Couple of pounds. <laughs> and the priest was there that time, so I had money, money, thought he'd marry me. <laughs> because he was a great friend of mine, and he was trying to wish it, and I used to be afraid of men, he knew that. <laughs> oh, she let me alone, there is no fun now, for goodness sake. The world is gone, sir. And there's no fun in the young people. Tell me, on your wedding morning, what was it like? Was it a fine day? Do you rem How do you remember well, it? Well, it was a fine day. And we got up and we had our breakfast and we went out for a walk around the place to see his place and all that. And it was all right. So then he had a pony and car and the next day, or a couple of days after, he went out fishing. And at that time, there was to be four boats going out fishing, what they called canoe And we, I was lucky to go out in the field watching them going out fishing. Since matchmaking was such a common occurrence in the lives of country people, it was an ideal subject of conversation on long winter nights. But of course it took the Shanachi to put the real snos on the story. In my father's time here, there was no knowing the amount of people that had get married between Chalk Sunday, that was the first Sunday in the New Year, and Shroff Tuesday. But queer times, as the cat said when the clock fell in him, if you saw 20 sidecars in a wedding drag now, you'd be inclined to put a mark in the crossbeam. And, of course, this custom of matchmaking is as dead as a doornail. Why, then, there was a match made for myself one time, and tis so long ago now that I won't be hurting anyone's feelings by telling you the comical way things turned out. At that time, any man that had a notion of giving the place to his heir, be it son or daughter, and make that fact known down at the chapel gate or elsewhere, coming up to Sheroff. And Sylvina Scullub was among those that gave vent to such a rumour in the year I'm alluding to. Sylvia's way of living was small, grass of a couple of cows, but as he was a thatcher, he wasn't depending on it. An only daughter is all he had for the place, and clever enough, he was all out to get a tradesman as a son-in-law. So he ran an account to our house, 
And the old people here at the time said that nothing could be lost by entering into negotiations. So word was sent back that we'd meet the other party in Kainer Snug the coming Saturday. Came Saturday, and twas my first glimpse of Sylvie, a cross little wasp of a fella. Is it any man that shot his own father-in-law in the leg the time of the moonlighting? Oh, and a great warrant to drink, you may say. For when my father put the pint in front of him, with the first log he sank it below the tops of the church windows, wiped the froth off of his moustache and said, Now then, so we got down to business. No man says Sylvie will darken my door down a seventy pounds, and there'll be no twenty pounds down and the rest at the first christening. A lump sum or nothing. Come off of your perch, says my father, tisn't it a man you have. Aren't you getting a man with a trade? And he's getting a good girl, says Sylvie. We didn't see her yet, says my father. Take fifty. I said seventy. Take sixty. Look, says Sylvie, put another five pounds on top of it, and don't anyone hear us haggling here like farmers. Twas done. And my father called for another round. Sylvie must have got into the wrong trousers coming out in the morning, for he never ventured near the pocket at all. But into the likes of him that he'd get on. Well, says Sylvie, viewing me for the first time, what night are you coming over to see Babe, Ned? Whatever night you're eating the gander, says I. Eating the gander was an enjoyable function that went on before the wedding to give the parties a chance of getting acquainted. The gander will be Thursday, says Sylvie, so let you come early and walk the land. We all sailed over Thursday, walked the land, inspected the stock, <laughs> to as you count them, three cows and a jinnet, and then we went in to see Babe. Well, as nice a girl as you could wish to see, but very shy and distant in herself. She hadn't a word for the priest, only yes and no, and inclined to call me sir. We all sat down to Rosh Goose, and there was dancing after. And when Babe and myself took the floor, what did the fiddler strike up out of pure devilment only? The mason's apron. And we had the sport to cork, and Babe said that she thought she liked me, and of course I couldn't say anything with the crowd around. We were all in town again the coming Saturday doing the bindings, the marriage agreement. The double deed came in at the time, and the two of our names were put in the land. The fortune was paid down to the attorney, of course, for the time being, in case that there would be any crooks. And a proviso was put in, fearing Sylvie and the missus to take to the room. The usual proviso was that the old couple would get their full needs of combustibles, milk, turf, butter and eggs, a seat in the car to mass Sunday, or any other big excursion like going to town to turn the bit of money, and the wedding was arranged for the coming Tuesday, off Tuesday. I went to bed early Monday night in the room below the kitchen. Our house was all on the ground in a hollow, and it was just as well, for the wind was rising, and it was cold enough to snow, as the man said it looked like as if it might be a white wedding. I found the night awful long. The cock crew, and it never dawned. The old people got up and made tea. They thought the night was awful long. I got up. We all went to bed again. There I was, time ticking away. Well, between the ups and the downs, 
I walk in the latter end to see about an inch of light coming in at the top of the room window. I jumped out and ran down and opened the door, and what was it? A wall of snow up to the eaves of the house. The clock was stopped and I didn't know where I was. I dolled up in a jiffy, tunnelled my way out through the snow and made every near way for the chapel. There was no one there. But knowing women, I made allowances. I waited on. You're getting very devout, says the parish clerk coming up behind me. Where were you yesterday? Getting ready for today, says I. That you mightn't sin, says I, isn't today Ash Wednesday. Don't you see the women coming into Mass? And that explained it, for I knew that there was something very unnatural in having to get up five times the one night for a drink of water. And of course, when I explained to the injured party that I was snowed under for two nights in a day, they wouldn't hear of it. Clear, Sir Sylvie, or I'll make a strainer of you with a double barrel, and Babe wouldn't look at the same side of the road as me from that out. But it didn't set me back much. For before Lint was gone, I went building gate pierced to a townland called the Lots, where I met the little woman that's with me since. And if Babe was nice, Jewel took the cake. And I married her for love, and in that way started the fashion in this locality. The priest or clergyman never had anything to do with matchmaking. In fact, it was considered unlucky if he meddled in these premarital affairs. However, when it came to arranging the marriage stipend, he often drove a very hard bargain. I had to go and get the, oh, what do you call it, the marriage certificate, and then I had to tell him how many cows I had. I had, I had six cows, well, I had, and five, five calves on a donkey in church that I got married, and he charged me seven quid. Priest charges that he certainly did. Was that dear in those times? Well, of course it was. Well, you were considered to be fairly well off. Was that the reason? Oh yes. <laughs> and then uh, I thought she had money. And twelve months after, I sold my farm land, sold it for half nothing. Uh, the marriage offering was also according to the number of cows a person had, and. The man paid this, and he went to the presbytery, and this could entail a long negotiations again, almost longer maybe than the making of the match itself, before they finally uh, arrived in a figure. And it was so much per cow. And I remember the case of a returned American who was um, uh, built a house for himself and didn't have much land really, only a cow possibly, and a few things of that kind. And uh, the priest wanted to get a very large offering for him, so he said to the priest, I have no cows. And the priest said, you have yellow cows, you know, meaning gold. An invitation to the wedding was a sign of your social acceptance in your local community. And somehow or other, everybody seemed to be invited in one way or another. And those who didn't get an official invitation used to come as straw boys or bully thee. Or no, ni hintas er be gomiuk antoir er chwyr eig bonish an throshin. Mar ni rud suruk vis a feste, a crack agus schleip, a lian gomenica fa couple law agus couple eichia. Hook 
An 86-year-old woman from West Clare has these vivid memories of the time she got married. You used to have confession in that then for throwing at the people. Oh, confession before that, too. No, not confession, I would confess it, you know. Oh, oh, God bless us. You'd be smothered with things that would be pelting you. What kind of things, no? Like bran or something, I don't know. Yeah? Some kind of white stuff. Did you get hit with bran yourself? Hmm? Did you get hit with bran? I did, sir. <laughs> but uh, do you remember now the day after your marriage? What did you do that evening? Did you start working in the house straight away? Well, I couldn't do any work because there was people in there, you know. A couple of people stayed with me for a week, you know, in the house. So that wasn't right. Couldn't they leave you on your own with your husband, not because... Oh, you well, they like went that. home in the evening, you see. They're cold. Oh, they left you alone at night, did uh, they? Yes. Yeah. And did you get many wedding presents, or used to give them in those days? Oh, should we? There wasn't many wedding presents going in them days, sir. Do you remember anything that you got? Well, I got a set of wear anyway, and a tablecloth. Yeah. The village wedding was a big day for everybody. The food was simple but wholesome, the drink was cheap but powerful, and so the singing and dancing went on into the night. All the neighbours would be invited, the farmers, not the town at all, no, but the farmers, and they'd be all invited, and they'd bring a, a barrel of porter, a cask of porter, and so many geese, and all the geese would be boiled. And then... They'd be dancing, they'd be singing, and there'd be fiddlers, banjos, and 
And the married couple go away then, and a month's time then they come to see their people, and she get a bit going on then. And of course the fortunes would be paid and all that, you know. It was an all-night session and everybody got a leg of duck or goose or whatever, it was mostly geese, you know, at that time. And a drink for the older people and dances for the younger ones and so on. Oh, it used to be a great night, and they had, uh, lads used to dress up like the run boys. They called them bacocks, but they were always pretending to be lame, you know. And they used to come in in the middle, and everybody had to give them the floor. They'd take all the girls up for a half set, and full sets of the kitchen was big enough. That kind of thing. It was nice to be very good. And uh, there was no such thing as honeymoon at that time. The girl came to the man's house and next day she'd be out milking cows and washing cows and whatnot. And yes, these marriages be happy ones? They were, I never knew a bad one yet. Never once. I had relations of my own, they all married. And sometimes I hadn't seen the, the prospective husband in their lives. They were introduced one night and marriage was settled in the fortune as they called it, the money, whatever she was to bring. That was all fixed in one night and then maybe they'd settled for a fortnight after to get married, or a month maybe. Oh, I don't say I never knew one of them to turn out wrong yet. A lot different to this you see today. Oh, there'd be big dinner for no going spotted bacon and cabbage. Then they'd have the tea, and then they'd go around with a big, a big tin bucket, pouring out the pot. Then they'd get, they'd get, thing to eat again before they'd go home in the morning in another drink. Whatever it'd be, left over in the bubble, you were a next door neighbor of mine, I sent for you. We'd, we'd drink it out. That's it. That was the end of the wedding. Would you get any potchin? Oh, I drank that one thing. Would there be potchin now served out at the weddings? Oh, no. Whiskey. Christ, I drank, what do you call it one time? Moonshine. Oh, Christ. While matchmaking and all its peculiar customs were fully accepted by the people in rural Ireland, it must have seemed a strange phenomenon to an Englishman who came to live among them in West Cork. Yet, Eric Cross found nothing strange or unreal in their basic philosophy of life. Well, I was living there with a man who died recently, quite a famous man, Dini Gugorn, as he was known as, and uh, I suppose I was a bit naive on all these things, but sometimes on a winter's night, Dinny would suggest we hurried over the meal. There was important business to be done. And this important business, I discovered, was matchmaking. And it involved Dinny getting a ladder and a lantern and setting off on a winter's night across country. 
what the purpose of the ladder was, or the lantern, I, I was never able to discover. I never actually uh, participated in this business of matchmaking, which seemed to be a very, very complicated thing and very involved, too involved for a stranger such as I was at the time to get tied up in. Weren't you curious? Did you ever ask him about it? Oh, I was curious, but I suppose they thought everybody knew. I was just an enormous of this matter, uh, just absurd questions. But I did, uh, naturally living in the place, I got involved in the, the end results of the matchmaking. It was a curious thing that there during the, the, the before Lent, when most of the marriages took place, the usual greeting on the road would be not Dies Murga, or it's a soft day, which would be the greeting at any other time of the year, but it would be, uh, was you asked to the wedding? And if you went asked to the wedding, you uh, must have been a local pariah of some kind. You anyway, I went to one wedding, and I was ashed to all the weddings. How do you remember them? Oh, I don't remember them, except in a blur. There was no other possible chance of remembering them. You went to the house where the wedding feast was taking place. As you went in at the door, you were handed a tumbler by one man. On the other side, there's a man with a bottle. From the bottle, the tumbler was filled with potine. And that was the drink of the wedding, of course, the potine. There was stout, but that was quite a casual affair. And uh, there was no whiskey. I mean, I never remember seeing what was known as government whiskey or commercial whiskey. It was always the potine. These matches were really, I think, looking back at them and seeing them the beginning of them and at the end over quite a number of years, I think they really were very successful. There was a lot to be said for them. I do, speaking as a bachelor, I think that marriage has been, uh, it's been made artificial and glamorized. And the people there, this is 25 years ago, more than that, they didn't see marriage in the terms of the women's magazines or the films. They saw it as a contract made for life, a practical, straightforward contract made to work out under the conditions of the district they were living in. Uh, and furthermore, I think that as a marriage or a match, it was never made without the consultation of the older people in the district who knew the back history of the families involved and would quite often quietly veto a marriage, probably giving no reasons, maybe not altogether knowing the reasons themselves, but knowing it would not prove to be a good marriage. Uh, they knew the weaknesses and the strengths of the two families involved and they knew the very, very possible outcome of any marriage taking place between those two families. 
So the thing really did work out well. People accepted the facts of life, having to live together, having to take the rough with the smooth, and living. They were farmers, small farmers, and that was most of the lives. The involvement with cattle and hens and pigs and the harvesting, broken, of course, by the feasts and the festivals. Uh, without the, as I say, the glamour, which I think it looks to me as though it wears off very, very quickly and what is left. So goes the story of the matchmaking and the weddings of the Ireland of other days. A story that's as varied and colourful as the people who made it, for better or for worse. <laughs>